I am excited to be back with you this morning. Um, last week, um, Reese and I were over with our missionary partners in Kosovo, the George family, um, and it was an amazing trip. Uh, we experienced um, their first ever baptism as a ministry, um, doing ministry there in a a predominantly Muslim context is, is slow, and it takes a lot of faithfulness and, and patience. And um, they've been serving God there for about seven years now. And um, we got to be there while this launch and this ministry and this idea became church. The only thing they hadn't done yet was baptism. We, we, we were almost at the end of Acts chapter 2. <laughs> And we got to watch that chapter conclude right in front of our eyes last week. And uh, so praise God. It, it meant a lot that you let us go. And uh, it meant a lot to them that, that we were able to be there. So praise God for that. But I'm pumped to continue in this series, uh, Love Is. God willing, I'm supposed to finish this next week. I don't know how we're going to finish this next week. But that's what the calendar says. So we'll see how that turns out. But this morning's focus on verse number five is is really the whole reason that we're doing this series. Uh, I shared with you at the beginning of this that uh, sitting in a seminary class three years ago, uh, a professor I really think the world of started talking about this text and what it looks like to talk about this in in the context of relationships and using God's word as a tool to, to kind of diagnose uh, our relationships. And it was really helpful, meant a lot to me. And then um, I preached on faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, which is at the end of this chapter, um, at the beginning of 2019, and then it again at the beginning of 2020. And we looked at it again the beginning of this year. And so th- this this chapter has just been like marinating in my heart for a few years now. And then in November, uh, I shared with you last November, I was watching a sermon series by Andy Stanley, uh, on parenting. And I didn't know that the sermon series was about this text. I was just, I knew it was a sermon series about parenting. And when you've got our three kids, you have to constantly listen to God's word about parenting. No, that was funny. Come on. Like, cause they're great kids. I was That was a joke. Maybe you thought that was a confession and I was serious. We have awesome young men. I didn't mean that. Um, at least two of them are a home run. And so, um, watching the sermons, and then I realized, oh man, he's, he's walking through first Corinthians chapter 13. And then this verse was so extraordinarily convicting to me and God just wouldn't let it go. And I realized, wow, I think this is not just for me. This is meant to be a conversation with our family. And so I'm going to warn you before we jump into this, that for me, this has been pretty convicting and I know that most of you are light years ahead of me in your spiritual growth. And so uh, for a lot of you, this won't uh, touch your heart at all. But for all the normal people in the room, buckle up. Grab your Bible. We're going to say our creed together before we dive in. So I'm going to invite you to hold it up in the air. And uh, let's declare our creed with some confidence together this morning. Here we go. The word of God, the truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. 
Thank you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you haven't figured that out by now, that's where we're going to be. Now, we kind of finished verse 5 two weeks ago just with one word or two words or rude. It's kind of a weird place for a verse break. So we're picking up with the the next complete thought, which is technically not the beginning of verse 5, but it should have been. So that's that's where we're picking up. Uh, verse number 5, it, referring to love, that's this topic here does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Here we go. So the first thing we're going to focus on, you see there's kind of three bullet points here this morning in this text. And we're only going to fill in the love is blank with just one thought at the end. We're going to unpack these three bullet points, but quite frankly, they could all be their own uh, fill in the blank here. Um, we're going to take this phrase by phrase. Okay. So, so we're going to focus first of all on love does not insist on its own way. That's the first thing we're, we're going to hone in insisting on our own way. And here's the thing. I would not insist on my own way so frequently if it weren't better than everybody else's. I wouldn't. It's just a curse that my way is better. And here's the thing that this, this phrasing of insisting on our own way helps us understand that every single one of us are born into the world from the moment of our existence, from a, the moment of our first breath. We are born with a broken capacity to love because every infant you've ever been around insists on their own way, right? And, and parents, that's, that's why they look so tired, <laughs> Because this little monster has demanded that the world revolve around their schedule. And then the grandparents are like, they're precious because you give them everything they want. You give them their way. That's why you think they're precious. You're literally feeding the bears and then send them home. We all come into planet Earth insisting on our own way. There's another way this phrase could be translated, and maybe your translation that you're reading out of this morning maybe reads a little differently. Maybe your translation says love does not seek its own. It, it doesn't look out for self. And that's what we talked about two weeks ago, if you weren't here. The, the fill in the blank of love is, last week we said, is love is selfless. Uh, true biblical agape, otherworldly love demands that we die to self. It requires the crucifixion of the flesh. It's actually not a thing that we can produce from within us. We need something outside of us to produce this capacity, the life of Christ within us. It, it's, it's a lack of self. Love, according to this biblical definition, says it's not all about me. And in our flesh, we want to make every moment all about us. True biblical love being worked out in healthy relationships can't be centered on self. I can't love you well if it's all about me. That's called loving me, right? That, that we seek the benefit of others demands that our benefits take second fiddle, second place, some humility, some, again, death to self. 
that I seek your benefit, that I, I seek your good. It's, it's that Bob Goff quote we talked about a couple weeks ago, that it's taking cuts to the back of the line, seeking to benefit others, to push others forward. It's not all about us. And one of the reasons that that's becoming increasingly difficult in the world, I'm, Lord willing, we're going to talk more about this next Sunday morning. We have an entire generation who's being told that the way to flourish as a human being is to know yourself, find yourself, speak your truth, make everything all about you. We have an entire generation who's being reinforced that making yourself the center of the story is the only way you'll ever be happy. It's the only way life will ever have meaning. And the fact is, it's the only way to be miserable. I can't bear the weight of my own glory. I was not designed for the universe to to orbit around me. And and here's the difficult thing. So I, I told you some of this came from Andy Stanley. Here's the thing about Andy Stanley speaking specifically to parents. His kids are grown and gone. It's a lot easier to talk with confidence to parents when you're done actively parenting. And it's horrifying to be in the middle of the thing and talk to other parents publicly because, you know, our kids. But let me just say this to parents. Your kids were not created by God to be the center of their own universe, of your family's universe, or of anybody else's universe. It... And when we try to tell them that the world revolves around them, they walk into a world that tells them, no, it doesn't, and they can't handle the disconnect. They don't know who they are. They think they all of a sudden don't have value because they've been told that they have God-worthy value with the way that we tend to make them the center of the universe. And here's what Andy Stanley said. He said, parents, you were already a family before you had children. They are a welcome addition to something that already existed before they got here. And we believe by God's grace will continue to exist after they are launched out into the world. A marriage is a family that is a Christian home. And so kids being born don't become the center of the thing. They, they walked into a story. So don't make your kids the star of the story. Not that they're not important, not that you don't have value. There's just a bigger star. It's with a capital S. His name's Jesus. He's the star of the story. We seek to see our households, our families, and our marriages center around Him. And for us to center around Him means everything can't center around us. One of us has to take the second seat. Love says, man, I'm not seeking my own. This is not about me. I've made Christ the center of the story, which has freed me up to seek the benefit of others. Love does not seek its own. does not insist on its own way. All right, second, second set of focus here is that love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. Anybody feel a little irritable the last year and a half? That hand went up quick, my brother. We need to have an altar call. Somebody start singing just as I am. (laughs) Irritable. 
Man. Knowing, I've known for months that I was going to preach this. And every time I've been irritable in front of my family, I've been like, it. I'm going to have to preach about being irritable in front of them. Literally yesterday, this stupid driver in front of me, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I'm preaching tomorrow being irritable. Maybe your translation words this differently. Maybe your translation says love is not easily angered. That word anger is a picture of being stirred up. Love is not easily stirred up. And here's where, here's where it starts to meet the heart level. That, that idea of being stirred up is a cooking term. So here's the deal. Um, for the four days that we were in Kosovo, I just want you to know, I became a renowned chef. True story. I, last Monday, six days ago, um, so if you don't know about our ministry partners uh, in Kosovo, that they are planning a church and to have a presence in the city, um, they st- tried to start right before the pandemic began, but finally actually got to start this past February, uh, a donut shop in Paya, Kosovo. It's called American Bread is the name of it. It's the only donut shop in the entire city because they don't make donuts. They don't. It's American Bread, right? And they also have have coffee because they love Jesus. And so, um, so I got up last Monday morning and went with the guys and said, "I want you to teach me how to make donuts." And those of you who know me well know, like I don't do pop tarts. I don't. I I I can mess up opening a chip bag. Like I I'm I don't have any of the skill. And they told me, they said, this is math and science. It's just measurements. And I said, that doesn't help. You just made it worse. <laughs> that, that didn't make me feel any better. But they worked with me and, and very closely oversaw all of my measuring. And they would tell me what all to put in this mixing bowl and then what all to put in this mixing bowl. And then at a certain moment, you combine all of that and mix it a certain way before you then put it in the big mixer machine that we as a church bought for them. If you remember that, I guess a year ago or so, whatever that was. I don't, I have no sense of time since COVID happened. Am I the only one? Like I say last year, it might have been last week. I don't know. I don't know. There's just pre-COVID and post-COVID. Anyways, so at some point in time, we bought them a mixer. Um, and here's the thing about this mixing process. The reason they kept watching me is because I didn't know what I was doing. And if I skipped a step, then the scientific experiment that happens in that bowl would not have made either donuts or at least tasty donuts. Because here's the thing about mixing. Stirring stuff up only brings to the surface what's already in there. Which means there's never been a single human being who's ever made me angry. They've just stirred to the surface what was already in my heart. The, the, the reality check that I will confess this morning is profoundly convicting to me. And if we're real with each other, I don't think I'm the only person in the room. The, the convicting reality check is this. 
Your spouse doesn't make you angry. Your kids don't make you angry. Your annoying coworker doesn't make you angry. Your flighty, flaky friend doesn't make you angry. The greatest influence that a human being can have on you is just to simply stir up what's already inside of you. And love has experienced so much of God's saving grace that when life stirs us up, apparently what comes out of us is Jesus. The reason that we've said this can't be fake behavior modification, this can't be some surface level niceness, is because life stirs way too much to fake this thing. What's really in there is going to work its way to the top. If strangers driving in front of us stirs us up, then what about the humans we do life with? Right? We right now as a culture are talking about conflict that we see in the culture and we keep having all these opinions of how to address the surface. And and here's the deal. This is coming from somewhere far deeper inside. This is just stirring up what's already in there. And love is not easily stirred up. Goodness gracious. Not irritable, not easily angered, not easily stirred up. This is what the little brother of Jesus, James, wrote about. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that our passions are at war within us? Passion for what? Passion for either self or Jesus. (laughs) This conflict isn't their fault. They made me mad. If If someone's behavior makes us mad, then probably something in that moment in our hearts is all about us. And the real problem is that they will not endorse my kingdom, party of one. They will not orient to my worldview, to the priority of me, to give me my wants or my wishes. I'm not mad at their behavior. I'm mad that I didn't get my way. If, if it's not about me, if it's not about getting my way, then I won't be easily angered. (laughs) Do, Do you see that connection? When love is not self seeking, it will not be easily stirred up. Another great quote by Bob Goff. He said this, the way we treat the people we disagree with the most is a report card on our faith. We're nearing the end of a school year. We're nearing the end of exams this week. And in a few weeks, report cards are going to get sent home. This final judgment What did they learn for the year? And the older they get, the more those report cards matter. It's now going on your permanent 
transcript. Dun, dun, dun. Does anybody know where your transcripts are? I have no idea. It matters, though. (laughs) It's this report card that shows how you doing. What are you learning? And and I love how Goff says this, man. The way we treat people is the report card of whether or not we really believe Jesus is who he says he is. And that he loves us as much as he says he does. How's my faith? I want to speak to parents again for just a second and just say this. When our kids infuriate us, that says far more about our hearts than it does about their behavior. Now, when they, when, when they break our hearts or when they grieve us or when we're disappointed in how they're behaving, it's appropriate that we have a ramped up response, right? I'll never forget. I, I was ready. I had read about dads drawing a line in the sand the first time you ever hear one of your sons disrespect their mother, right? I read about that before we ever had kids. When we found out we were pregnant with a boy, I started reading boy dad books. One of those authors at some point was like, death calm five, we have disrespect to mother. And I'm like, that makes sense. So, man, my radar was up. I was just waiting for that parenting moment. I was in the back of the house the first time I ever heard one of our sons. And I won't tell you that it was Garrett. <laughs> it's irrelevant. <laughs> I was in the back of the house, and I heard him smart off to her and Like, I've never moved that fast in my life. I came flying out of the back of the house, and I'm, like, charging at him, like, doing the physical intimidation thing. And he's like, what the? And, like, he's backing up towards a wall. Like, I've got him pinned. Don't you ever talk to my wife that way. Brought you into the world. Take you out. It was all that stuff. And I actually wasn't even that angry. I'd just been, I was excited. I'd been waiting for this. <laughs> this is what we've been training for. Let's go. There's appropriate times as a parent that you have that ramped up response. The question is, was that out of anger or was that out of love? And I think we answer that question, was that out of anger or was that out of love, by asking two questions. Number one, what was the goal? Was the goal to restore a relationship or was the goal to fix a kid? And then the second question is, what was the tone? Was the tone shame or was the tone correction and encouragement away from something that's going to lead to death? Maybe by my hands. So love does not insist on its own way, and it is not irritable. Last word that we'll focus in on here in the text is it is not resentful. It's not resentful or bitter. It, it's forgiving. And maybe your translation says that love keeps no record of wrong. I love that fleshing out of what resentment looks like. Because resentment keeps score. And here's the deal. We all tend to keep score. 
Sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not. But we are born in our fallenness and in our brokenness. We are born as scorekeepers. And the interesting thing is, is we, we tend to not keep score of other people's rights, only of their wrongs. We tend to not keep score of their wins, just their losses. But we tend to only keep score of our wins and never our losses. Which is why when we walk into conflict with that person, we are ready in a moment's notice to tell them all the ways that we've been right and all the ways that they've been wrong. We've got a record. Like we literally could have a court stenographer be like, last Tuesday I did this and you didn't say thank you. But biblical love, Christ-centered love, gospel love doesn't keep a record of wrong. And I know I've shared this story a lot, but it just fits too well. My family told me I shared this recently, but again, with no concept of time, we're just going to roll with this. Ethan, kindergarten, maybe first grade, is doing homework with Marisa. It's the only way for there to be peace in our home is for her to do homework with the younger ones. She's doing homework with him. And as with any other kindergartner, he wants to go play. He doesn't want to do homework. He wasn't engaged. He wasn't focused. Duh. And so in his frustration that he can't memorize what he's memorizing because he's distracted and whatever, he just says, Mama, I have a fast forgetter. (laughs) Cutest thing ever, right? They used to be so cute. I don't know what happened. Uh, So love has a fast forgiver. God's definition of love, by the way, doesn't have a fast forgetter. The reason forgive and forget is not in the book of Proverbs is because God's word is only true and there's no such thing as forgiving and forgetting. You won't forget. The deeper the hurt, the longer into the recesses of the long-term memory of the mind that event is stored. You won't forget. That's why Jesus told us to forgive over and over and over again for the same thing on the same day is you're not going to forget. Love doesn't have a quick forgetter, but it sure does have a fast forgiver. What's the mark? I, and some of you have sat in my office as husband and wife, and we've we've talked about a couple of these things before. So some of this will be redundant to some of you. A question I ask frequently is, what do you think is the single mark, the single distinctive of a Christian home? Like, what's the win? What What's the home run? What's the grand slam? What's the the championship trophy of a Christian home? Is it that they never sin against each other? then none of us are winning. I believe the mark of a Christ-exalting home is that it is occupied by people who forgive quickly, readily, and genuinely when they act human towards one another. Love forgives. And if we're, if we're going to do life with broken people, Like, just do life, let alone, like, do biblical community together. Then we better learn how to let God's forgiveness flow through us. Because we're going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other. And if you don't think that's true, clearly you don't have social media. We're going to disappoint each other. But love keeps no record of wrong. And here's where all of this, I feel like, just comes together. Like, it just fits like pieces of a puzzle. When it's not about me, I won't be so quick to get angry 
and I won't take so long to let stuff go. If it's not all about me, then anger will be slower and forgiveness will be quicker. But if it's about me, I'm going to get mad really quick and I'm going to have a hard time moving on. Love is forgiving. It's not bitter. It's not resentful. Love has a fast forgiver. And I want to say this real quick before I move on. I want to make sure I'm clear about this. I'm not saying that biblical love enables abuse. Sometimes if we hear these things out of context in a Christian environment, we're like, oh, so that just means I'm supposed to stay in a super toxic, abusive relationship. And that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not loving to endorse someone's sin. We'll talk more about that next week. So to to be a quick forgiver doesn't mean that there's not boundaries. It doesn't mean that there might not need to be separation in a relationship. It doesn't mean that you don't get outside help. If you find yourself in that kind of relationship today, God's not just saying, keep taking it. Good luck with that. But for the common disappointments, heartbreaks of life, he's calling us to walk in an otherworldly kind of love. That's a fast forgiver. And so let's fill in our blank for today. When I think about being oriented around Jesus and slow to anger and quick to forgive, here's how we fill in the blank today. Love is grace in motion. Love is grace manifesting itself in our marriages and in our homes and in our workplaces and in our communities. It is the visible display of the gospel of grace at work on planet earth through regular people loving one another. Love is the grace of God in motion on planet earth through his sons and daughters. Really, this is a a picture. This verse is a picture of people who believe the gospel so much that they live like it. And they believe the gospel so much, they love like it. We live in a world that's obsessed with the idea of love. So much so that the, the world around us would say that love is our God. Love is what we have to have. Love is what we worship. Love is what we cling to. And our worldview says, no, our God is love. Everything about this brings us back to who he is again. And I, I want to ask for just a few more moments of your heart's attention today. And if you've got a, a Bible with you and you want to follow along, I'd encourage you to flip over or scroll over to Psalm 103. Those of you who've been listening to me preach for the last 10 years or so, No, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Psalm 103, we see the heart of God orienting towards the benefit of others, slow to anger and quick to forgive. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord in all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And listen to the heart of this verse to 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The God around whom the whole universe actually revolves seeks to benefit his sons and his daughters. Well, what are those benefits and what do they look like? What's the stuff we're supposed to remember? Oh, just this, who forgives all our iniquity? (laughs) Who heals, hallelujah, all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. There's some people in the room who can resonate with me. We've seen ourselves in a pit and we've seen the redemptive benefit of a holy God chase after us. Who crowns you. The King of Kings crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. He seeks our benefit. Our God is love. Well, what about his his slowness? To anger, verse number eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Man, if if he had a temper, we'd all be toast by now. If he was irritable, we'd be fried. But he's slow to anger. What about our forgiveness? Oof. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's a glimpse of forgiveness. And again, some of you have heard me talk about this before. He does not remove our sins as far as the north is from the south. That matters. Because if I start traveling north today and go past Alaska, I'm eventually going to run into the North Pole. So if he removes my sins to the north, I would find them there. But if they're in the south and I'm in the North Pole, if I take one step in any direction from the North Pole, I'm heading towards my sins if they're in the South Pole. No, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. And here's the thing. If I start traveling east today, at no point in time will I ever run into an east pole. I can spend all of eternity traveling east But he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, which means I will travel this world for the rest of my life and I will never run into my sin again. His forgiveness means I'll never throw this in your face. It'll never come back to bite you. It'll never be held over your head. I'll never remind you of all your failures. He forgives us by removing our sins from our path. We'll never run into him again. That's God's love. And it's not just his love. It's his power to go live out the same love. 
That forgiveness makes us a new person. It transforms us. It produces things inside of us that we no longer, uh, that we never before had the capacity to do. Colossians 3, 13, uh, the the words of the Apostle Paul speaking on behalf of Jesus says, just as he forgave you, you must forgive one another. And when he says, just as he forgave you, he doesn't just mean he was a good example. Act like Jesus. I think sometimes we think that the life of Jesus is just whittled down to, to him being our inspiration. Like our opening worship song needs to be, you're my inspiration. No. But he's so much more than the thing that inspires us. He is the source of the power and the authority to live differently. He's not the inspiration. He's the source. He's the capacity. It's him at work in us, producing something in us that we no longer, that we never before had the capacity to do. 